Hello, my name's Kia. For those of you just joining us in this episode, a quick introduction to myself. I'm an F1 doctor and a UCL grad, and this podcast is here to help you prepare for life as an F1. Today I'm going to be speaking to my close friend Arva, who's going to discuss some useful things she's learned along the way, as well as a case on breaking bad news. Hello. Hi. How are you doing, Arva? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Good. So just tell us a bit about who you are, what you are. (laughs) Um, Hello, my name's Arva. Um, I'm an F1 doctor and I'm working at a busy London hospital in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic at the moment. And you were at work today, how was that? Um, It's okay, Um, busy shifts, but uh, nothing um, too out of the ordinary today. Just a little bit tired. Well, thanks for being here. So let's go straight into it. Could you tell us what rotation you started on, what sort of jobs you were doing in that week, and uh, whether you had an induction, and how you felt really? Sure, I'm happy to do so. Um, so my first job um, back in August was general surgery. I was one of the general surgery F1s. Uh, prior to starting, we had about one week of induction. Um, and then after that week, started for real. Um, and I've been an F1 ever since. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet been fired. No. <laughs> so far, so good. And when you said you had an induction, was that on the wards or was that lecture-based induction? So there was a little bit of kind of the necessary lecture-based induction in terms of um, safety, occupational health and whatnot. Um, But the majority, which I I thought was quite good, um, was ward-based shadowing of the outgoing F1s. Um, I actually thought that was immensely helpful and I wanted to mention this, um, that if you are given a similar opportunity, and I think most people are, to absolutely um, run with it as much as you can, um, the way that I approached it and my fellow F1 did it was to just assume the role of F1 essentially during the induction week mm. and to, to try and be as involved as possible um, with everything that was going on on the ward mm. um, because we found that that was quite effective in actually figuring out what we didn't know and what was really important to um, be fulfilling the F1 role um, in the teams that we were going to be stepping into. Unfortunately, the outgoing F1s were really friendly and they kind of welcomed us into that role, which made it kind of extra easy. I would definitely recommend that. It enabled us to kind of pick up on all the little things that might not otherwise come to mind, if you see what I mean. Yeah. And I know the current UCL and most university uh, F0s have volunteered to be on wards at the moment. So just make the most of that opportunity. And obviously it's quite a different climate to the one you might be starting on, hopefully once once this is settled. But still, you can try and acclimatise with what it is that F1's doing. And even though it might be quite busy, try and ask questions whenever you have them. Um, Yeah. yeah, Even so, when you do get to your hospital, having that induction is so crucial because your IT systems will be different. The way you book things and request things will be different. Mm. So, um, yeah, use that day as, as efficiently as possible. Yeah. I mean, for example, as a surgical F1, um, how to get scans approved that's going to be different at every hospital Absolutely. and it may be completely different to what you saw as a medical student on surgery oh. so by kind of being the f1 in your shadowing week you'll learn the most effective ways of getting scans approved 
um, which radiologists to speak to when, that kind of thing, the ins and outs of the job. Yeah. Um, and, and like Kia was saying, it might be things as small as where is the list saved, yeah. um, how to update the list, things like that, which are actually kind of the bread and butter of being an F1, um, but they're different depending on where you're working. Even now, when I rotate onto a new speciality, I still have to ask, you know, where's your list saved? <laughs> which part of the shared yeah. drive? How do I access Absolutely. it? Um, and even though requesting scans from radiology or from radiologist is different in every hospital, um, mm-hmm. can you talk us through about that process in your surgical rotation and what you have to do to get a scan approved? Sure. So I think this is one of the things where you have to balance um, efficiency with preparation. Mm. Um, so uh, a lot of um, the surgical take, i.e. Um, patients who are coming in through A&E, Um, under the surgeons um, has to be run quite quickly because the amount of time in between a patient being admitted and them going to theatre should be uh, as efficient as possible if you see what I mean. So getting scans in a timely manner um, in order to confirm or add information to diagnoses um, is really important Um, but at the same time um, you're not going to get a scan approved without having a good reason for that scan to happen and as the F1 you're going to be the one who's told that you need to order a scan but it's your job to understand why that scan is necessary Mm. because you're going to be the one who's communicating that with the radiologist. Exactly. Um, At our trust there are a lot of face-to-face discussions between FY1s and consultant radiologists so they're going to have detailed questions that you're going to be expected to answer. I think my top tips here are ask when you don't know so if a surgeon asks you for a scan and you can't figure out why it's necessary um it's fine to ask even if it's a little bit embarrassing that's okay you'll learn uh, and nobody should make you feel embarrassed for asking um a reasonable question and it makes it makes your job so much easier like if you have to go through this patient's notes and history to work out exactly Mm. why that scan is indicated at this point Mm. in time Mm. it takes a lot Mm. more time than just saying you know what is the request that you want from radiology Mm. why um exactly i would so it helps with the efficiency as well yeah and i used to just jot down like a sentence on my list about why they need that scan because when it came Mm. to them all it was so much quicker and it, it can take long to go through these notes especially on surgery sometimes they're spread out between different wards and you have so mm. many patients um, so yeah always ask even though it can feel a bit scary and embarrassing at the start you realize that you know you need to know this information and yeah. often the people you're asking it from are expecting you to ask um, so don't worry yeah yeah so that's certainly one thing so ask when you don't know and then um, also make sure that you're going to that this is where the preparation side comes in just make sure you do have those important numbers when you go into the discussion mm-hmm. so for example if you're going to get a pres- uh, this is just one example of many but if you're going to go and discuss a patient with a radiologist for an interventional procedure mm-hmm. they're going to want to know about that patient's clotting mm-hmm. and if there's an up-to-date INR for example so it's helpful for you as the F1 to take that INR number with you into the meeting so that you're not wasting time when you're there with the radiologist. Yeah. And it just makes you look a little bit more polished yeah. in that you've thought about the patient. Yeah. And um, my, my consultant once told me the number one reason for rejecting a scan is if you've not put a good enough detailed request in. Um, mm-hmm. And if you do make the effort to make the request efficient and you include a comprehensive history mm-hmm. and reason for why the scan needs to be done, then it's unlikely that the radiologist is going to quiz you as much as they would mm-hmm. if that was just a one-line mm-hmm. request. So, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
just going back to that week one, um, your thoughts and feelings, what did you find was the hardest part? So that could be, you know, IT or prescribing. So something that I found quite difficult um, in my first week was getting to grips with getting bleeps. Mm. Um, and especially um, something that came, maybe I was a bit naive, but something came, that came as a surprise was sometimes you do get a slightly poor quality handover mm. um, over the phone once you've been bleeped. Um, and I think UCL actually, uh, right, um, and UCL actually does a really good job of um, ingraining the SBAR handover structure <laughs> into all of our minds. Um, so you wouldn't be uh, kind of um, questioned for thinking that that was adopted universally. But uh, to be honest, it's not um, universally implemented. And so it was a steep learning curve for me um, to not accept those bleeps. Um, what I, I don't mean to say to reject those bleeps, but yeah. rather to to develop a method to extract the information that you require kind of in the SBAR um, handover structure if it's not supplied to you in the first instance. Yeah. So, um, for example, so my first weekend as an F1, I was covering um, urology. Um, I was a general surgery F1, but on weekends we often covered urology patients. I didn't know any of the urology patients because I hadn't looked after them during the week. Um, they were spread across multiple wards. Mm. Uh, I got a bleep um, quite early on in the day um, from a nurse who was um, concerned that a patient was spiking. Mm. Um, and that's understandable. But the only information I was given was that the patient was spiking and the bed number, for example, bed 12 is spiking. Can yeah. you please come and review? Now, that's actually not a handover. That's <laughs> a reasonable request. But you do need more information than that to make decisions that enable you to prioritise, to understand the urgency of the situation. And me being kind of nervous, new F1, I went right away to review that patient. Um, and that's fine. Um, I didn't have anything else on my plate at the time. Um, but I've since learned that you can guide somebody into giving you more information if needed. So just ask a series of questions, you know, uh, actually, please can I have the patient's name? Can I have the hospital number, please? Why are they in hospital? Um, what are they being treated for? You've given me one ob, but please can I have the rest of the obs? That kind yeah. of thing. Obviously, without being impertinent um, and yeah. be polite, but um, you can extract that information um, if needed. Um, and SR Dover is something to aim for. <laughs> yeah, and they sound so simple, these things. So I think we were told about them when we were students. But honestly, until someone really tells you a story or until you've started the job, you, you forget to ask things like the name. Um, and that's something you learn mm. very, very quickly. Because if you don't ask yeah. about the name or where the patient is, oh, it's so difficult to try to get hold of that nurse again to find out where the patient is. Sometimes the right. phones are so busy. Uh, but yeah, yeah, always, always ask for the patient details. And it's so easy to forget on your first week or so. Um, mm. Mm. Yeah. when you're nervous you feel bad for asking questions and demanding more information of the phone yeah um especially because you you can, you can kind of trust that whoever's calling you probably has a valid concern and you don't want to make it seem like you don't trust them or that that what they the information they've given you isn't good enough but sometimes you genuinely need that information in order to be able to make good clinical decisions if you're getting 10 bleeps an hour then you're going to need more information because you can't go right away to see everyone and mm. um, that's the frequency of the bleeps. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Great. So if I could ask you to go through maybe a case or a particular shift that you found difficult um, and it could simply be the first bleep that you had to answer or, you know, something that you learned from. Um, so the case that I'd like to talk about um, is a case of breaking bad news. Um, and this actually happened during my gastroenterology job, so my second job. And um, the scenario was 
Um, so it involved a really lovely woman, um, one, of my, one of the patients of whom I'd grown quite fond. Um, she'd been in, a, in with us for a little while, um, who'd undergone an ERCP procedure. Um, her initial presenting complaint had been jaundice. And sadly, this showed um, cholangiocarcinoma. Mm. Um, we were still awaiting the tissue diagnosis, but this was a very probable cancer diagnosis on mm. the basis of the ERCP. Um, so we'd been on a ward round that morning that was consultant led and it had been decided prior to the ward round that we would be breaking this bad news. Mm. Um, but unfortunately, um, it was the impression of myself and the SHO that um, for a number of factors, um, ultimately the information hadn't been properly communicated and it seemed as if the patient didn't really understand what had been said mm and probably needed a second discussion. So we decided, together with the consultant actually, we did, we did discuss as a group that um, myself and the SHO would go back later that day mm. um, to have a further kind of breaking bad news discussion. Uh, and actually um, after that, the SHO did invite me to lead the discussion um, because she would be present and she would be able to support me, um, but she thought it would be a good opportunity for me to get some practice at what could be quite a difficult skill. Yeah. Um, and so I ended up taking that opportunity to lead a breaking bad news discussion. Yeah, and I think that in itself is quite, um, it, it encapsulates a lot of what the F1 ends up having to do in terms of the, the consultants come and do the ward round early in the morning and they give you and the patient quite a lot of information that you later yeah. may have to go back and either discuss with the patient or you may have to follow up on. Um, and yeah, that is your your role, not necessarily breaking bad news, um, not always your role, but it is your role to go back and make sure that that patient understands the plan or the patient understands what's going on because it can be quite busy on the ward round and it can be difficult for everything to be explained there and then. Um, so yeah, yeah that, that's a prime example of what what we have to do on quite a regular mm -hmm. basis patient care doesn't end on the ward round right like yeah, you're, exactly. you're looking after them all day exactly. so if, if you feel that something wasn't properly communicated or something wasn't fully understood take any opportunity you can to go back later that day yeah. and and check that patient's understanding and provide information because as the f1 who's kind of based on the ward maybe the most out of all of the team members you're going to have the most opportunity to do that yeah yeah, and you can really help people by doing that. And if you do it well, then you're actually doing a lot for that patient in giving them information that yeah. they that they deserve and they need. So that was the way I, that was kind of the thinking behind it. Um, and so my approach to it, um, well, I so there are some things I was saying earlier, like, for example, getting scans mm -hmm. that as an F1, it's your job to do quickly and efficiently um, and in a kind of timely manner. But this is one of the things where, although of course you shouldn't delay unnecessarily um, imparting important information like this, um, it is appropriate to take your time to prepare adequately um, so that you um, are in a good position to conduct the meeting to the best of your ability. Mm. And so I took, I think maybe an hour um, before the meeting, um, just sitting in the office, literally collecting my thoughts, uh, reading over this lady's entire medical history as much as I could get my hands on, um, reading over all of her results, um, looking at like what the previous discussions with her had been to get an idea of how much she already knew, um, looking at family discussions that had been documented to see how much her family knew. Yeah. Um, we, we'd call her, called her husband that morning to come in for the meeting. 
Um, and then I even did like a mini run through with my SHO before going in, not an in de- not a detailed one, but just a quick overview of the structure that I was going to use. I mentioned <laughs> spikes because that's what I'd learned at medical school and I kind of ran that through with her. Yeah. Then we went in to do it. And um, so the first part of spikes is setting. So uh, I went to the ward sister initially before approaching the patient because um, the ward sister's office was one of the only places that wasn't being used mm-hmm. um one of the only r- private rooms that wasn't being used so i asked and she kindly gave her permission mm-hmm. and then she actually offered to accompany us um which i later i hadn't thought to invite um a non-doctor to come along but actually i on reflection that was a really wise decision and yeah. i was really grateful that she offered to be present um she just brought this like more comforting presence and also an air of leadership to the meeting mm. because the ward sister is in charge on the ward but also nurses have this caring role. And I just thought that she helped the dynamics um, so much. So essentially the meeting, um, it was, nothing can prepare you through how, for how upsetting it is to give somebody in real life really bad news that mm. will alter their life um, forever. And it was really difficult, um, obviously primarily for the patient and for her husband, mm. um, but also for us as kind of the carers um, having to give that bad news. Um, with all of its ramifications Mm. Um, but um, it did give me kind of perspective on how rewarding it can be to do that job if you kind of um, feel that you're able to do it well to an extent um, because because of how important it is for that person to have that information and to have it presented in a way that's honest but also sensitive Definitely. Uh, so yeah that's I felt in, in some ways, it was something that maybe you can't experience um, until you have, just, but in other ways, something you can prepare for. Yeah, sorry. Just to add a bit of context, what was the news you were breaking to this patient? Oh, sorry. Okay. Um, I didn't even say. Um, <laughs> so it was a lady um, who'd undergone an ERCP. Mm-hmm. Um, she, her presenting complaint was jaundice, and um, the ERCP had shown cholangiocarcinoma. Mm, okay. And- yeah. So that was the diagnosis. It was a cancer diagnosis. Yeah. And did it go well? Did the patient cry? Did you have to hold back tears? Um, so interesting that you should ask. So the patient, I actually owe a lot to the patient in that scenario because she was one of those kind of wonderful people who carries everybody else emotionally through a difficult situation. Mm. So I was quite lucky. She actually made it quite easy. Um, and she was almost quite comforting when she didn't have to be um I think her husband was very very visibly upset and the patient herself was being quite brave um which is difficult as well because you don't want you want to give the patient an opportunity to to express that they're upset but I think she was being brave for her husband at the time Mm. um I was upset of course I was upset but I was glad that I was able to remain professional um and that is a challenge and yeah. obviously it was maybe one of the more upsetting experiences and it is okay to cry sometimes as an F1 or as, an, as a doctor of any grade but yeah. maybe not whilst facing the patient um I think that would t- that would have taken the focus away from the important things Definitely. Um, yeah I think yeah. if you ever do feel like you are on the verge of tears then just <laughs> it's not ideal but ask to excuse yourself but just really try and hold them back until afterwards and if you need yeah. to cry that's absolutely fine go go yeah. have the cry but just try not to do it in front of the patient I think that's quite a um a good point to make as well and in general for breaking bad news so 
if you if you ever are in a situation where you've you've got a new scan result for a patient and there's a new cancer diagnosis just be wary that it shouldn't be on the f1 shoulders to break that news usually so if you ever get an opportunity mm. like arva to break the bad news um if the sho or someone says do you want to do it then by all means get stuck in and try and do it because now for example we're in a situation with covid where a lot of f1s are breaking bad news for the first time because we don't mm. usually do it um ideally mm. it would be someone senior or a consultant who knows the patient that does it but definitely if you if you get the opportunity try and do it and you know more often than not we've just come out of med school with a lot of training about compassion and breaking bad news and more often than not we're we can be better placed to break that news than some other clinicians who it's difficult to say but um i've certainly seen some breaking bad news scenarios that have been suboptimal and me and the other experts have come out and been like you know what i wish i wish we did that because that was just i think what we've had is we've had the privilege of really good communication skills education absolutely which maybe at the time you don't fully appreciate because it feels like the softer stuff and you want to be getting ready for the for your exams with hardcore medical knowledge um not with kind of spikes frameworks and things like that but actually it is a huge privilege that we've had that education because when you arrive you'll you'll realize when you arrive in the workplace that that has primed you to be able to have certain difficult discussions Mm. with more confidence than a lot of people will be able to who unfortunately maybe didn't get that Mm. education when they were so it is a privilege and it's something that you can hugely benefit your patients with and as Kia said it's not usually an f1 role to break bad news but it's relevant in so many different situations Mm. um for example, when there are, and there often are, um, upset patients or upset family members um, because the matters that you're dealing with, um, are they have a huge impact on people's lives. Mm. Um, so even something as small as a scan getting delayed, for example, mm. um, having really good communication skills and being able to talk to people in those situations, you'll find it, it will be really useful and you'll, you'll yeah. do a lot for people. Yeah, and I think the point you made about, you know, you, you went through the notes for, for an hour or so um, before seeing the patient is it's such a valid thing, especially if you've got the time, then, you know, spend as much time as you want going through the history. But it um, it really is important to to get a climb as to what that patient's needs are or what their baseline is and what their history is um, so that you yeah. can go into that consultation feeling like you have the knowledge for any questions that they're going to ask. If you can preempt into those questions, even better, then you can call the either the palliative nurse beforehand or the consultant beforehand and ask, you know, what is the plan going forward, just in case she does ask. And she probably would ask. So just go in mm. trying to know mm. what you're going to do going forward from this. So it's not just about breaking the news. It's also about rounding that up and um, letting the patient know what's going to happen from here onwards. And that's also why it's so good to have a nurse there. Or if, if it's a, you know, a cancer diagnosis, having a palliative care nurse, if it is a uh, end of life yeah. um, so thank you Arva for going through that case I think we've all learned, uh, learned something new from that thanks very much for discussing with me <laughs> it's always good to have some reflective practice <laughs> quite right join us in the next episode where we'll be discussing a bit about talking to relatives and Arva will run through a case on professionalism and give her final words of advice so we'll see you there bye